Let us rise in spirit and sing number 181 in New Century Hymnal, You Are Salt for the Earth, O People. I'm Amelia Richardson-Dress. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm one of the pastors here at UCC Longmont, and along with Reverend Sarah Verasco with our music team, Robert and Lauren with our nursery staff and our AV folks, and everybody who comes together on Sunday morning, I get to welcome you. So as you come into this space, come remembering that you are a beloved child of God that this is a community of love where we are learning to live and love better together each and every day. And so it's in that spirit that we greet one another using the words that are in your bulletin, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. As you come back to an experience of love, this morning, we're going to take a few moments to breathe that in. Sometimes uh, what we know is different than what we remember in our hearts. So take a moment to grab onto a time when you knew that you were loved. 
And let that come into your mind, into your spirit, and to your body. And let's simply rest in that love for a moment together. May the love that we experience be a love that we are also extending to others. Our service today will be intergenerational. Uh, we had children's church planned today, which is a typical pattern for us, and our children's church leader needed to be out. She's not feeling well, so we hold her in prayer uh, for a quick recovery. Kids will stay in the sanctuary uh, this morning for our service. There is a coloring table in the back for anybody who thinks and prays better when their hands are moving. Uh, there is also a staffed nursery in this back room, and kids of all ages are welcome to be back there this morning. Know as we journey through this service together that noises and movement um, are welcome. These are a way that we also experience God's presence, and it's a reminder of God's presence uh, that is in each of us. Let us return to that breath that we found as we move into a time of worship. For our gathering words this morning, we're going to practice an echo prayer, but also an imprint prayer. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to say a line and then I'm going to invite you to repeat it. And as you repeat it, put your hand on your heart. What we're doing here is trying to imprint these beautiful words upon your heart. And in your echo, I want to invite you to just whisper. The heart hears whispers well. And it would be helpful for us to attune our ears to those whispers. So I'll say it in a sort of typical indoor voice. And you can respond with an echo with a whisper and a gesture towards your heart. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is. In the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, Smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. Because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments. And life itself is grace. 
We are on the final Sunday of a six-week sermon series on decision points. We have been seeing how people in the Bible have made decisions, and we have been considering how we make our own decisions in life. Last week, we heard a story about the apostles um, as they were deciding to continue teaching in the midst of persecution. They had been arrested and told not to teach anymore, and they decided to continue with their teaching. And today we pick up right where we left off last week. Um, The disciples, the apostles have gone out, they have teached and they have taught, and now the authorities are reacting to that. When the authorities heard this, when they heard that the apostles were still teaching, they were furious, and they wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census, and he led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And verse 40 tells us his speech persuaded them. A story of wisdom for us today. One of the things that I get to do as part of my work is to uh, explore some time with spirituality, with preschoolers. And so I sit uh, in some of our preschool classrooms for a couple hours each week, and I get to just talk with the preschoolers one-on-one. We have some rituals that we do to help us look at how life is unfolding for us. And at the end of my time with any, any particular preschooler, I give them a blessing and I use oil or sometimes a chapstick to draw a heart on their hand. And I say to them, you are precious, which means very loved. And you can help others know that they are loved too. So a few weeks ago, I was in the preschool classroom and it came time for the blessing with a particular child. And one, this kid said, could you draw a giraffe on my hand (laughs) instead of a heart? And so I said, sure. And I drew the very best giraffe that I could draw on a preschooler's hand with a chapstick. 
And then I watched as the child stood up and he walked all around the classroom and he showed everybody in the classroom that he got a giraffe. And so he would say, look, I got a giraffe. And every kid looked at it and said, ooh. <laughs> Aside from just the obvious delight and cuteness factor, I am uh, sharing that story today because it's a really good illustration of a general principle, which is that some people are really good at seeing possibility. <laughs> and the Pharisee, Gamaliel, who we heard about in our scripture reading, was one of those people. Looking at this situation that was in front of him, a situation that many people were looking at just in terms of crime and punishment, he was able to look at it in a different way and to offer an additional possibility, which was that God is working in a way we don't know yet. That's been the thread that has connected our sermon series over these past six weeks as, we, as we've explored all of these decision points in the Bible. And each week of our reflection, we have encountered a question. Today, our question for our own decision-making is, what are the possibilities? Sometimes when we look at a decision that we're trying to make, we overlook all of the options because we are used to seeing things in one particular way. The folks in our story were used to seeing things in one particular way. And then when we get used to thinking about our own mindset in decisions, it also shapes what we think about when we think about what a good decision looks like. And so this morning to help us think even more deeply about decisions and possibilities and how we weigh all of those things out, I asked Steve Tawney, who is a member here, who is also our co-moderator and who works in the field of decision-making, to talk with us a little bit and share some ideas uh, that he has from his expertise about decision-making. Good morning. morning. Decision-making has been a big part of my life. I got a degree in the academic field called decision analysis and then made a career working in the profession of decision analysis as a management consultant, helping companies and governmental agencies make tough decisions. Decisions can be tough because of the complexity of many interacting factors, because of a high level of uncertainty and risk, and because of organizational disarray and conflict. A central foundation stone of decision analysis is a clear definition of what makes a decision good. Please show slide one. There are six elements that comprise a good decision, and there must be high quality in all six elements. We portray this 
as a six element chain because a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Let's start at the lower left-hand part of the chain. The first element we'll talk about is an appropriate, I'm sorry, appropriate frame for the decision itself. That means that we are clear in our minds about the scope and nature of the decision. For example, imagine that we're working with a company that has a product that's not selling well. We might ask, are we, are we deciding how to better market this product? Or are we deciding whether to even continue making this product? Now, what is the frame? The second element of a good decision is clear values. What consequences do we care about? And if there are multiple consequences, what are their relative importance? For example, the company wants to make a profit, but it also wants to be environmentally, environmentally responsible. How should we trade off these two goals? The third set, the, sorry, the third element is a good set of alternatives. Have we thought creatively about what we can do in this situation? Is each option that we've identified feasible? In our professional practice, we found that the time and effort spent on identifying additional alternatives can create enormous value if it results in an alternative that is better than the original ones. The fourth element is useful information. Do we know how our choice of alternative will affect the consequences that we care about? Can we get more information that will make things clearer? For example, if we launch this new product, what will our competitors do? And how will governmental regulations affect its sales? Sometimes, of course, the information that we need is expressed as ranges of uncertainty. The fifth element is sound reasoning. Are we thinking correctly about this? Have we made any logical mistakes? And the last element is commitment to action. Will we really follow through and implement the alternative that, that looks best, or is this just an academic exercise? So the definition of good decision is one that has high quality in each of these six elements. It's important to note here that we are not defining a good decision as, that, as one that turns out well. It's possible to make a bad decision and be lucky enough to get a good outcome. You've been out drinking with friends all evening and decide to drive yourself home, even though you feel buzzed. Getting home okay does not make your decision a good one. Okay? So there's a difference between the goodness of the decision and goodness of the outcome. It's also possible to make a good decision and get a bad outcome. So knowing that, well, we, we should know whether a decision is good or bad at the time that we make it. We don't have to wait to see how it turns out. At the professional level, we've helped many organizations make high-quality corporate and governmental decisions. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about the academic field or the profession of decision analysis, I can recommend this book. It's called Handbook of Decision Analysis. And I happen to be one of the co-authors. <laughs> but the approach that we use for organizations can also be used by individuals 
for making better personal decisions. Toward that end, back in 2001, my professional colleagues created a nonprofit called the Decision Education Foundation to teach young people how to make better decisions in their personal lives. The young people with whom we worked through the foundation appreciated the fact that we were not there to teach them what choices to make, but rather how to make good choices. This morning I will use a case example that I developed for the foundation as an illustration. And the case example is about a young girl named Carly. Carly is a happy 16-year-old high school junior. For the last few months, she has been very interested in a boy named Jason. Although he has been friendly to her at school, they have not yet gone out together. But today, Jason just asked her to go with him to the big autumn dance a few weeks from now. Carly is so excited, she can hardly sit still. But then she has an awful realization. The night of the dance is the very same night that her mother is throwing a big 70th birthday party for Carly's grandmother. Carly really loves her grandmother. In fact, they're like best friends. They frequently have fun together, just being the two of them, window shopping, going for ice cream, or just chatting about life. So Carly really does not want to disappoint her grandmother. And she knows that her mother would, be strong, would strongly disapprove of Carly missing the party. But at the same time, Carly is very much afraid that if she turns Jason down for the dance date, he might never ask her out again. What should she do? Let's imagine that Carly has come to us for help in making her decision. We'll use the six elements to help her. Let's start with the values element. We ask Carly, what consequences of this, of this decision do you really care about? She says, I really love my grandma, and I would be crushed if I did anything to make her unhappy. And of course, I do not want my mom to be angry with me. But then there's Jason. I would very much like to develop more of a friendship with him. It just looks as though I cannot get everything I want from this situation. So we say, well, let's think about the information you need to make a good decision here. Can you say how unhappy your grandmother would be if you missed her birthday party? And do you know how much Jason is interested in developing more of a friendship with you? If you're not sure about these things, it might be valuable to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with your grandmother and to ask within your circle of school friends about Jason's feelings about you. Finally, let's look at the set of alternatives that are possible. Show the next slide, please. Carly starts out thinking that she has only two options. On the one hand, decline the, de decline the dance and attend the party. Okay, so that would make her grandmother and mother happy, but the friendship with Jason is negative. Or, on the other hand, go to the dance and miss the party, make her grandmother and mother unhappy, but develop the friendship with Jason. We can see from the diagram that each of these two alternatives has both pluses and minuses. What else could Carly do? With some creative thinking, interesting possibilities might emerge. How about 
inviting Jason to the birthday party? How about Carly taking her grandmother out for celebratory lunch on her birthday and then going to the dance in the evening? Let's imagine that Carly learns from her friends that Jason is indeed interested in developing a friendship with her. Then in a heart-to-heart conversation, her grandmother tells her that of course she wants Carly to be part of the birthday celebration, but she also wants Carly to be happy. With this information in hand, Carly devises a really good new alternative. Next slide, please. She and her grandmother celebrate the birthday together over lunch. And then she has Jason come a bit early in the evening so that both of them can spend 30 minutes at the party before leaving for the dance. As you can see in the diagram, the new alternative has a better set of consequences than either of the original two. So we've helped Carly make a very good decision. Now, I must say, it's not always the case that the best alternative in a decision is so clearly superior to the others. Sometimes we need to put weights on the different values, different consequences, in order to rank the alternatives. But this example does illustrate how a good decision can be achieved. Thank you. So in that example that Steve gave, um, he listed possibilities as alternatives right there at the top. And for Carly, uh, part of her process was looking at an alternative to either going to the party or not. And so she was able to craft some other ways of doing things just by opening up to the possibilities. In our scripture reading, that work of looking at possibilities happened in community. And I'll say that work of looking at possibilities also happened in community for my little preschooler with his giraffe. The question um, in our scripture of what to do about these people who were stirring up trouble by continuing to teach was taken up by several folks. There were a lot of conversations about that, and it was within that that the new ideas were generated. And I'm drawing attention to that this morning because there is wisdom in getting an outside opinion on a situation. There are some spiritual practices where you invite people together as you're trying to decide something simply to help you think about the possibilities. Even if you don't do that in a formal way, getting together with some trusted friends the way that Carly did Just to think through those ideas can be really helpful. But once those possibilities are listed, we still have to do something with them. One of the um, models that we looked at a couple weeks ago was a weighted pros and cons list of assigning values to help us decide. It's similar to the way that Steve had the diagram up of looking at the values and how are they aligned. But there's another model that's rooted in contemplative Christianity, which is simply to sit with your options. So if we return to that example that we had a few weeks ago about whether to get a dog, then 
a way of doing this would mean that you set aside a couple days just to sit with the idea that you're getting a dog. And it's more than sitting with it. Uh, it's deciding to live as though you are getting that dog. And then you live with that as your mindset for a couple days. And you don't evaluate it. You just live with it. I'm getting a dog. And then at the end of a time frame that you've set out, maybe two or three days, you switch the roles. And so then you tell yourself, I'm not getting a dog. And you live with that for a couple days. And you notice what emerges for you. So this is a way of looking at possibilities that takes some time. You could probably do it in a condensed uh, time period. But in the spirit of um, contemplation and allowing ourselves some space to discover things, this is a way of digging a little deeper and also not getting into that mindset of just twisting options around and around and around in your head. And the important part is that during the time that you're living uh, with your choices, you don't reevaluate. You really want to settle as much as possible into the mindset that the decision is made and this is what you're doing. And so it's only after you have done that for all of your options that then you go to prayer. And you spend some time journaling or walking in nature or sitting. And you ask yourself, where did I feel more alive with one of the choices? Were there options that felt more like me? Were there options that felt more spirit-led or brought a sense of peace? And I'm using peace specifically instead of comfort because we remember uh, from many of our stories from Scripture that God will ask us to do new things. And sometimes these new things are also hard things. We had that a couple weeks ago as Alyssa talked about deciding to go out um, on a 30-day trip with Outward Bound. It was the decision that brought peace, but not comfort. So our task when we're thinking about these things is to consider all of these possibilities with prayer and with openness, but also to remember that we are not alone in the decision-making or in what comes next. I was thinking as Steve talked about how it's possible to make a good decision and have a bad outcome or a bad decision and have a good outcome, how much that hangs us up because um, we feel the weight of that decision and we feel the weight of not being able to predict what's going to happen. But we're not alone in it. The outcome of that decision will be held with us and the Spirit will continue to move. Which is why when we say we aren't striving for perfect outcomes, we have that layer of faith to help us hold the possibility of an imperfect outcome. 
And so we're striving for wisdom in how we make our decisions. More than the, the uh, desire to just know what's going to happen and choose your own adventure style of being able to weigh out our options. When we look for wisdom in our decision making instead of trying to predict the outcome that's going to happen, we learn to listen to our lives. We learn to find those holy moments that exist within the possibilities. We learn to live deeper into the spirit that God has called us to and is working within. Let us rise in spirit and turn to number 145 in our sing hymnal, Just One Word From You. I did the welcome this morning, I was hesitating because I knew there was something that I was forgetting to tell you. And we are here at the moment where I have discovered what I forgot to tell you. <laughs> Which is that you uh, will need something to write with for our prayer practice today. So if you have a pen or a pencil or something nearby you, um, maybe in a purse or a backpack, Grab that, and if you don't, we have some markers, um, and you can either go to the back, and Alyssa will help you find those, or raise your hand, and somebody will bring those to you. And I apologize uh, for forgetting to let you know that when you had time to um, just take care of that without feeling quite so on the spot. Our prayer practice this morning, we are going to be 
writing our prayers in these hearts that are on the cover of your bulletin. And if you are joining us online, you can do this either by drawing hearts on a paper that you have near you or um, just doodling your prayers on anything that is blank. And so as we settle into this moment, let's return to that spirit of love that grounded us this morning, the belovedness that we know is within us and that we are invited to extend to others. And then in a, a spirit of freedom, a spirit of there's no right way to do this, we're just going to rest in that love for a couple moments and take some time to just write the prayers that are on your heart into these hearts and then we'll come together for a moment of spoken prayer. Trusting in the God that holds all things with us, we lift up those prayers. And now joining in a spoken prayer, we are turning to this prayer of Jesus, which is printed in your bulletin. This is one where the right side and the left sides of the congregation will be echoing one another. This is an adapted uh, Lord's Prayer from a group of Dominican nuns from a retreat that they had in the 90s. And so the right side will lead us off by saying our father and the left side will echo back our mother. And we'll go back and forth like that and I will help 
uh, guide, but you all have done this prayer before, and I know you can do it again. <laughs> and so we begin together. Our Father, our Mother, who art in heaven, who art in all the earth, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your truth. Thy kingdom come. May your wisdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your circle be one uniting heaven and earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our nurturing spirit. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Heal through us as we ourselves are healed. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us into the fullness of life. But deliver us from evil. And liberate all that is good. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. For the wisdom, presence, and the goodness are yours, now and forever. Amen.
what are the possibilities is the question behind every offer grant application that our offer grant team receives. And if you're not familiar with the offer grant process, it's really an opportunity for anyone in our community, any two people in our community, to put together an idea for a ministry that will extend the vision of this community and the reach of God's love. And in that spirit, Lori and Wayne Moore filled out an application and they received funding for their idea to provide scholarships for students of color to go to Ghana. And this is a group trip that is not just open to people of color, it's also open to people of European descent. And the, the focus of the trip is really cultural immersion, racial reconciliation, and healing. And today we have a real treat. We've got three separate videos. You're gonna see one right now. And this is um, Anthony, who is a scholarship recipient. And you're gonna see just a really quick two-minute video from Anthony, and then after the postlude, we've got two other videos of the other two folks who receive scholarships because of the generosity of the offer grant. So enjoy this, um, enjoy this video. Hi, my name is Anthony Sanford, and I am a former student of Miss Linda Austin, who was my kindergarten teacher. So this is a full circle moment for me and I'm extremely grateful to her in the United Church of Christ Longmont's Dream Offering Fund for providing me this opportunity to travel to Ghana. And just to sum up the question, what does this trip mean to me? It means a number of different things, but I'm going to limit it to three, uh, with the first being the ability to reconnect with my ancestral roots. I think it is important that every Black American has the opportunity to reconnect with those roots, being that we were disconnected due to the transatlantic slave trade and the enslavement of our ancestors. And speaking more generally, um, the ability to re-engage and reconnect the African diaspora, being that we are spread all across the world. However, our roots are centered in the West African region, and in this case, in Ghana. So um, having the ability to travel back, be culturally immersed, to learn about the history is something that is near and dear to me. Furthermore, I have my own nonprofit, which is titled Emancipated Minds. And the ultimate goal of Emancipated Minds is to provide birthright trips to young Black American high school students to be able to study different historical landmarks throughout the country as it relates to African American history. And we plan to expand the trip internationally to different points throughout the African diaspora and specifically Ghana. So this trip will allow me to do extensive research as it relates to developing the nonprofit and offering this opportunity to students in the future. So I am extremely excited to embark on this journey. Um, and again, I am super grateful to you all for providing this opportunity. My name is Carol Wilson, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I serve on the church council, and it's good to be together this morning. 
A very special welcome this morning to visitors and guests, and welcome back to those who haven't been here for a while. We're so glad that you're here. This coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, which marks the beginning of a new church season. Ashes to go will be available from noon to one o'clock in the sanctuary. There will also be an evening service of contemplation and ashes at seven o'clock here in the sanctuary. Family game night is coming up. Please join us for a night of fun and games at family game night this Tuesday, the 13th, from 6 to 8 p.m. We'll have board games, ping pong, foosball, and giant games. Kids ages one to 100 are welcome, and if you'd like, please bring a favorite game from home and a snack to share. Girl Scout cookie sales are available here in our congregation. The Girl Scouts will be selling Girl Scout cookies in the art lounge today during happy hour right after church. If you would like to support UCC Longmont financially, you can give online at ucclongmont.org giving or using the offering boxes on the back wall of the sanctuary. Thank you so much, and I hope you all have a wonderful week. Thanks, Carol. Let us rise in spirit and sing number 208 in our sing hymnal, Pass the Love.
Friends, those other videos will be on in just about 10 seconds if, you want, if you'd like to see them. Good morning, members of the United Church of Christ in Longmont. My name is Malcolm Quattlebaum, and I am born and raised in Denver, Colorado. Oh yeah, Denver native, baby. Uh, it is with immense joy that I share the incredible news that I have been awarded a $5,000 scholarship from the United Church of Christ in Longmont. Uh, to embark on a journey to Ghana as the official photographer and videographer. Uh, this trip to Ghana represents more than just a voyage. It's a profound odyssey back to my roots. It's an opportunity to dive into the rich tapestry of the Guinean culture and to celebrate the resilience and spirit of my ancestors. Uh, I'm filled with deep appreciation, deep appreciation for the chance to amplify the voices of my fellow voyagers as well as the Guinean people through my lens. Um, to shed light on the stories, struggles, and triumphs. Uh, I'm so excited to turn all of our moments into everlasting memories. Uh, but moreover, uh, going to Africa holds deep personal significance to me. Um, it's a homecoming. It's a chance to reclaim a part of myself that has been yearning for connection. Um, this journey is about more than just photography. It's about rediscovering my identity and forging bonds that transcend time and distance. Uh, thank you from the deepest, deepest part of my soul for helping me turn this dream into reality. Uh, I'm so excited and so eager to get out there with all of you guys. And once again, thank you. And uh, let's go. Hello, my name is Ashante Black. I'm a United States Air Force veteran. And presently, I'm employed at Fort Logan National Cemetery. I'd like to thank United Church of Christ for the opportunity to receive this prestigious scholarship. I'm honored to be going to Ghana, West Africa. Growing up in Jim Crow, Louisiana, I faced challenges that no man should have faced. After becoming an, an adult, I left the South, joined the military, and traveled the world, learning that Jim Crow South was not the norm. After strangers shared a story with me about the Ashanti tribe, I then studied Ghana and the Ashanti tribe. In 1994, I decided to relinquish my birth name and change it to Ashante. I have studied the history of Ghana, most specifically the Ashante village. Never once did I dream that I would have the opportunity to go there one day. Again, thank you for this opportunity, and I can assure you that my visit will not go unnoticed or unspoken of. I look forward to meeting each of you and eventually sharing with you about my journey to Ghana, West Africa. Thank you.